Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the underloved and unknown and underrated movies out there in the world. And today's podcast is a especially fun one. I have not only a movie that's especially fun, but I have a host that's especially fun. And first off, I'll go for the movie. Our movie today, the 1989 comedy Loverboy starring Patrick Dempsey. One of these movies that's virtually unknown today, although it was a fairly fairly decent size hit at the time. It's just one of these that did not particularly age well. It was kind of forgotten. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about the many reasons why this movie might have been forgotten. And now for my co-host. Okay, my co-host today... Very, very popular podcaster, one of the most popular podcasters in America, I would assume, and it's he's been one of my big gets because he and I go way back. He runs a podcast. Rob has a podcast about reality TV, entertainment stuff. Just one of the funniest guys I know, and again, we've been friends for like 15 years, and it's always a joy when we get to do something together. Welcome to the show, Rob Sesternino. Uh, what an introduction, Mario. I was just here. I thought that somebody ordered a podcast with extra anchovies. <laughs> yes. Well, you're you're spoiling the plot of the movie already, Rob. Yes. Been very polite of you to laugh after I already said that when you <laughs> I answered the <laughs> Skype call. <laughs> yeah. I'm Johnny Carson. I, it's my job to make my guests look good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Very happy to be here. And uh, when Mario reached out and said, hey, what movie do you want to do? I said, uh, let me go back and just try to come up with something that probably aired every single day on HBO at some point in my adolescence. And it was between this or just one of the guys. And I figured that this one was actually probably less problematic to talk about. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> let's come back and revisit that once we get into the plot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do it. Okay. Um, before, I want to get uh, you to give you a chance to introduce yourself and kind of tell people what you do and who you are. But I have to say that Rob Sestern, you know, you are a proctologist here because when I asked you to pull a movie out, you pulled this one so far out of your butt that this is one of those rare 80s movies I don't own and I hadn't seen in like 20 years. So I congratulate you for finding a movie that almost stumped me. This was hard for even uh, me to go back and find. It was not on iTunes or Amazon or Netflix. Uh, I watched it on a very shady site. I don't know if anybody's going to like, well, I, I don't know how many people in your audience go back and then watch the movie before it gets talked about here or just along for the ride. But it's almost impossible to find this movie unless you order the DVD from Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, unless, uh, like you said, if you go to a very shady Korean site. The Koreans apparently are big fans of Loverboy, I found. Is that... <laughs> well, I don't... <laughs> Does that have anything to do with Mrs. Kyoto? <laughs> yes. Which I, I believe she was Japanese, to be fair. She was Japanese, I believe so. They don't specifically mention it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to her in a second. Why don't you tell people who you are, uh, what you do, how you got involved with this movie? Because I get the sense this movie had a little more resonance in your life than it had with mine. And just I just get the sense that you and Patrick Dempsey seem like you were very similar growing up here. Yes, I just found that to be such a relatable story of the uh, young man. No, I, I mean, this movie came out in 1989. I'm not sure when it was airing constantly on HBO. I would imagine like a year or two later. So anything in my early adolescence, especially that sort of 
had uh was even like a somewhat salacious uh you know it was a uh, comedy it was probably something that my parents didn't want me to be watching so it had a lot of the key ingredients to uh attract a 12 or 13 year old rob sister nino yeah now you didn't see this one in the theater you would have been too young right definitely not yeah it's really funny when I, I asked my co-host to pick a movie, and it's funny psychologically which ones they pick. Like I had a doctor on to talk about The Man with Two Brains, which is about you know, a doctor. And so I asked Rob, and Rob wanted to do, I think you said some drama a while back when I first asked you. Oh, Vanilla Sky. I, I didn't know what this podcast exactly was. I think you would like, I, I you know, want it to be sort of artsy-fartsy and talk about <laughs> like uh, a movie that's not that critically acclaimed that should get more. But if we're just going to talk about wacky stuff, yeah, I'll go to something from uh, that, you know, I've watched a million times. Yeah, the artsy-fartsy podcast here where we did an episode on basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, it's funny psychologically what it says about a person, which movie they pick. And the fact that you picked Loverboy makes me believe that you must have been sticking it to an auto a lot of old ladies as you were growing up. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, I do think that there is some sort of a fantasy fulfillment for a uh, young adolescent male that, uh, you know, I don't know if we are getting into the plot now, but just sort of the elevator pitch is Patrick Dempsey is a uh, uh, he's like a 20 year old college student and he gets a job delivering pizza and he ends up becoming a gigolo in the process. <laughs> Yes, based on the novel by Sylvia Plath. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Duh. Now, Patrick Dempsey is an interesting guy, because for a lot of people, you might know 80s movies, you know, all the John Hughes stuff and like Fast Times. This movie kind of comes at the end of the 80s. And yeah. Patrick Dempsey was like the the B team, the second team, second wave of 80s stars, I would say. Like, did did you know him very well growing up? Did you see a lot of his movies? No, I really didn't. I, I mean, I think that uh, the uh, Can't Buy Me Love is the big one. And I think that this is sort of at the end of that run for him where it might have been, you know, that he this is like the last one of sort of like the teenage rom-coms that he was able to do. And then he kind of goes away for a while until he resurfaces on Grey's Anatomy, right? Yes. <laughs> and that's the great thing, because so many people in my audience will only know him from Grey's Anatomy, where Patrick Dempsey was McDreamy, like the, the sexiest man alive in people magazine and i don't even know if a lot of people know that he had this kind of awkward embarrassing teen phase before that where Loverboy is probably the biggest one i would say yeah um yeah I, I still think i think can't buy me love is the is his signature hit and then he gets uh some of these other ones but it's interesting because he's not exactly michael yerger in terms of being just like this uh heartthrob right no, he's a dork. That's the thing at the point of the movie. He's this huge, spazzy dork. And again, when I watch this movie, I see like like a young Jim Carrey could have played this role. It's all he's all floppy and spazzy and running around and frantic. And it's like, yeah. how did that guy become the sexiest man alive? Yeah, um, yeah he's uh, like a uh, young man whore Mike Bloom here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Shout out to my co-host on Survivor Historians, Mike Bloom, the Patrick Dempsey of the 21st century. <laughs> Also McDreamy. Yeah, also McDreamy. We do call him that on Historians. Yeah. The the thing I was just reading about this, and this, again, you kind of mentioned the plot of the movie. We'll be walking through this for people, that he really is just this college student basically banging every uh, MILF in Orange County and uh, Beverly Hills. But it was hilarious because I was reading about Patrick Dempsey before this podcast. And do you know who his first wife was? I have no idea. 
When Patrick Dempsey was 21 years old, he married his acting coach and mentor, who was 48. Hmm. So they were married for quite a while. So he literally lived the life of banging MILFs. So I would say that's <laughs> it fits in perfectly with this movie. The true method actor. <laughs> yes. Now, let's see. What else did I read about Patrick Dempsey? Before he became a movie star, he was like a professional juggler. Okay. Yeah, he studied under like the most prominent juggler in America, the most uh, so like he has this eclectic background. He's a stage actor, a juggler, and again, physical comedian. That's the one thing I want to get across to people about this movie that it's a silly movie and it's kind of stupid, but <laughs> there's a lot of cool stuff going on with Patrick Dempsey just being this actually pretty good physical comedian, which I didn't remember. Yeah, he's doing a lot of uh, dancing and uh, stunts and uh, jumping in pools and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, he definitely has a lot of fun with this role. Yeah, absolutely. This whole movie looks like everybody's having a blast, and there's all these <laughs> big-name stars. And again, I saw this movie back in the theater in 1989. I was 15, so I was very excited to see something, like you said, this salacious. This was not my typical movie here. But, uh, yeah, I, I saw it in the theater. My brother and I liked it, and I kind of forgot about it, and I didn't really see it until, I think, Mr. Rob Sesternino mentioned, let's do it on a podcast 25 <laughs> years later. So, again, I just want to thank you for reintroducing it into my life. Good. Well, um, I was very happy. I don't think I've watched it in probably uh, 15 years or 20 years, so this was fun to go back and look at it this morning. Okay, and here is the big question. How well do you think this movie holds up? And I, before you answer that, I want to say, obviously, I'm only going to do a movie like this on staff picks if I believe in it and I recommend it to people. So I will recommend this as an 80s comedy, kind of a second wave 80s comedy. I think there's a lot of neat stuff about it. But do you find that it holds up and it is as good as you remember it being as a kid? No, it's definitely not as good as I remember it from, again, I don't know if I ever was like a movie critic growing up. I just remember that this was something that was on. Like you didn't watch things because they were good. I, you know, you watch things because they were on as a, uh, a person growing up in the 80s or the 90s. And so I thought it was fun and it would be something that would catch my attention when it was on. So I, I do think that though it was cute uh, that there, there are certainly issues with the film that do not hold up in 2018, but I did find myself uh, enjoying it and it was not a chore to get through. Yeah. It's not a chore again. It's not the funniest movie in the world, but it is funnier than a lot of, you know, historically great eighties comedies that I've always argued that a lot of eighties stuff isn't that laugh out loud funny. It's kind of cute and charming. Like, this movie does have some some laugh out loud stuff. It's got some I hate to use the word problematic. It's got some issues that you may not see in a modern comedy. But yeah, then we're talking about gay jokes. There's so many gay jokes in this movie that it becomes like the signature storyline in the movie. But it's kind of mitigated. I would say this movie is not as sleazy and as R rated as you think it would be because and I think it's because it's got a female director. I don't know if you noticed that. Mm hmm. I did not notice it. Yeah, so you, uh, a woman director directs this thing about this guy who's basically sleeping with every woman in Beverly Hills. And if you pay attention to this movie, it's really not about just like the sex scenes. The whole point of this movie is that all these women just want to be loved and just want some attention and romance. And like that's why, that's why I think it, it almost feels like it pulls its punches a little and becomes a little more sensitive than you think it would be just on first glance. Yeah, I do think that the underlying message is one that is, uh, you know, intended to be empowering for women. I, you know, I, I do, you know, th try to, you know, think a little bit uh, more critically about it, where the, all of the relationships in the film 
are kind of interesting where that that you would think, OK, well, this is like a real, a real story about uh, women empowerment and talking about how that these uh, women can, you know, that they, they have these lovers that are incapable of uh, attending to their every need, uh, sexual or otherwise. And then so they're going to, you know, really take the bull by the horns and outsource all of this. But it actually turns out that every single woman in the movie is actually a woman that is in a bad marriage who is being uh, cheated on by their <laughs> counterpart. And so as a way to sort of get back at their husband, they all end up calling up Patrick Dempsey to come over and sort of they are really just getting vengeance on their significant others throughout the film. There's almost like uh, nobody that comes into play who is except for the original woman, the, you know, inciting a pizza customer. Uh, every other woman is just trying to get payback on their cheating husband. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, and a lot of the times we find out later in the movie that this lover boy, this gigolo, isn't even sleeping with the women. They're just they just want to dance or do ballroom dancing or get shown a little attention. Well, I think they kind of had to soften that up because at the end of the film, I mean, at the heart of the film, that there is this love story between Randy, the main character, and uh, his love interest, Jenny, who uh, he goes away to college and he like lives with her and he's in this relationship with her that's been for like two years. And then over a summer break, they have like a, a breakup and then he sleeps with, uh, you know, God knows how many women over the course of the summer. And then he really spins it at the end like, no, <laughs> yes, OK, I slept with some women, but it was really all about – that I was trying, you know, these women just wanted attention. And I was trying to do this nice thing for all of them, which I think was a major spin job because uh, <laughs> I don't understand how Jenny took back Randy at the end of the film. So you think he's basically conning Jenny at the end? It's a long con? Yes, yes. I think he's learned to be a very manipulative person. And uh, Randy, as uh, now a true uh, Lothario, uh, knows exactly what to say to Jenny that she wants to hear and has this, uh, you know, real tall tale about how he's the hero of this story. And I think that if Jenny really thought about it, she said, wait, hold on. This guy, I was with this guy for two years. And then over the course of a summer, uh, he hooked up with 30 and even the first woman that he hooks up with that it was not like that he was in the business where he was getting paid to, you know, he his parents to pull him out of college and he needs to earn all his tuition money back. And so he has to sleep with like 49 women at two hundred dollars a piece. But the, he wasn't getting paid from the first woman. <laughs> so what you're saying here is that I, I, mean, I think I, I will cut through the, the chase here that that you're saying that Randy, this whole whole movie, he is learning how to talk to women, how to how to romance them, how to woo them. And that's all he's doing to his girlfriend at the end. He's learned how to talk to to tell Jenny what she wants to hear. Not unlike in The Sopranos that uh, Tony Soprano is using his therapy sessions with Dr. Melfi to, uh, you know, sharpen his abilities to manipulate that. I, I think that uh, Patrick Dempsey, Randy Bodick here, I think also is using his uh, time with all these different women to know exactly, you know, what to say to Jenny to win her back over. <laughs> OK, OK, we're going to walk through the plot of this movie here just because, again, I'm quite sure that most of my listeners do not know this movie or have not seen it in 30 years so yeah yeah we may need a refresher but i will say before we go into this 
Rob and I know have known each other for years and we have forever been trying to do projects together or do something together. And I just want to say this because people will get a laugh out of it. Do you remember the first time about 15, 20 years ago when we suggested we do a, uh, a review of like uh, TV shows and, and we debate them? Do you remember why you said that would be a bad idea? No. Because we always agree on everything, and it would be just like the Jerry Seinfeld SNL sketch mm-hmm. where Jerry debates himself, and he just agrees with himself on everything. <laughs> I, I don't remember that, but that, that is funny. <laughs> oh, this Jerry guy makes a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to go through this movie, and we will try not to agree on everything, and we will try to provide a little uh, Siskel and Ebert banter where we fight with one another. So Sure. I'm sure we'll find something. Okay, so here we go into the plot of Loverboy from 1989, which is possibly the uh, the sleaziest movie I've done so far on staff picks. So here we go. Mm-hmm. All right. So the story is thus, as Rob said, the story of Randy Bodick, a uh, college student, slacker, just basically wears a leather jacket, has a mohawk, does nothing, and... He's just, again, just kind of a loser, has no skills with women whatsoever. He's got a girlfriend, Jenny. He... What's he going to do? He's going to propose to her or something? Is that what the opening of the movie is? I don't know exactly. No, I think that he was just supposed to hang out with her one night, and then it was like the last night before he went home for the end of the semester, and then like a party broke out where about 100 people just showed up in – they sort of – they share a dorm room. I don't really understand uh, like how the college looks the other way on this or exactly what the situation is, but they're sort of roommates in the college, and his parents don't know, and it's a big secret. He can't tell his dad that he's living – with uh, this woman yeah and because this is an 80s comedy hilarity hilarity is going to ensue here where Rand again randy's got this girlfriend and he can't tell his parents and he's kind of lies to his parents that oh i just uh i room with this guy vic you just happen to never see him and it will become a a running joke throughout the movie that his parents believe he's gay Yes. The whole thing is basically like a 98 minute episode of Three's Company. <laughs> and the dad is sort of like a reverse Mr. Furley where that he, the dad is under this, the misunderstanding that his son is gay, but that the son doesn't realize that that's what the dad thinks. And that's why the dad is, uh, you know, ends up taking an interest in a lot of what's going on over the course of the film. Yeah. And. This is this uh, exactly illustrates why I said that Rob and I will agree on everything. I literally wrote in my notes, this is like a episode of Three's Company, this movie. <laughs> so, Yeah. And the same thing, there's a lot of misunderstandings. You know, one thing is going on for one person and, and people think that something else is going on and hiding in, uh, you know, in the closet and under the bed. So uh, uh, very much uh, the atmosphere of Three's Company. Yeah, and it's especially going to get like that towards the end. I don't know if you noticed how complicated the ending of this movie is. It's like there's ten subplots all converging at once. Like you literally need a flowchart to explain the ending of this movie. That's the part I'm kind of worried about when we talk through it. Okay. I don't know. A Venn diagram may be helpful. Maybe I'll put that up on the website or something. Uh, pizza pie chart, maybe. <laughs> yes, a p- yeah, that's, the pizza chart would be perfect for this one. Okay, so Randy, uh, he, he wants to hang out with his girl. She thinks he's a loser. That's like he, he just doesn't take it seriously, and they basically break up for the summer. And so Randy comes home from college, and again, he's got no girlfriend, and he's got no prospects, and he's all, dis, uh, he's all dejected. And the dad sees his report card. He sees you getting all Fs and stuff. He's like, I'm not sending you back to college. You're a slacker, McFly. You're not mm-hmm. going back there. So, you know, so Randy's whole life is just in the crapper. And all he can do is take a summer job, and he goes to one of the most 
iconic 80s jobs in a movie ever to a place called Senior Pizza. <laughs> yes, yeah, Senior Pizza is a weird place because it is a pizza place, but it's also kind of a Mexican restaurant, <laughs> and you have to wear like a. I wasn't sure if this was a go what they were going for Italian or like a, a stereotypical very large mustache for I don't know <laughs> what they're going for there but uh then the delivery truck is also with like this uh giant sombrero and people come in like it's a pizza place but then they order Mexican food also it's crazy well it's kind of jumping the curve here because it's a fusion restaurant <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, the Italian Mexican fusion restaurant, and there's actually a scene in the movie where one of the uh, where Jenny comes in the restaurant, and looks up at the menu, and I actually wrote down some of the items they had for sale at Senor Pizza. Yeah, let's see if uh, Rob, you'll appreciate these. All right, some of the items we have: the spaghetti ranchera, <laughs> the nachos Alfredo, yeah, <laughs> and the chorizo parmigiana. <laughs> yeah, it's really nuts. When there's like a dream sequence and I think that uh somebody is ordering something like a pastrami burrito, mm -hmm. like uh people are just ordering insane things at uh <laughs> senior senior pizza. <laughs> Yeah, in my opinion, that is the most underrated part of this movie, the whole senior pizza subplot. Because like you said, the delivery truck has a sombrero on it. Like, we're, we're edging into some perhaps mild 80s racism that wouldn't fly today. But yeah, the mm -hmm. giant mustache. It just. Yeah. I always appreciate it. Again, when you think of this movie, there's two things you're going to think of. You're going to think of senior pizza, and you're going to think of extra anchovies. Those are the two things that stand out. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be anybody who is Mexican who works at Senior Pizza. Maybe they would be too offended to work there. I think this is the part of Southern California where they had no Mexicans. <laughs> this is the, the white part, apparently, they found. Yeah, or the Italian part. <laughs> yes. Well, it is funny you have two Italians, two paisanos here talking about this movie. So maybe we can share some of our Italian heritage with the, the proud Senior Pizza tradition. Yes, and if either of us are uh, like a Tony who works at Senior Pizza. <laughs> okay, so Randy gets a job at Senior Pizza, and basically the first day someone calls in. Again, I don't know why anybody's calling into a place called Senior Pizza, but they do, and they send Randy out to deliver the first pizza because he's the new guy. The new guy gets to do the orders. And as he's driving down the street in Beverly Hills, he sees this hot girl walking across the street, and he's trying to flirt with her because, you know, he's single now. And she just laughs him off because he's a pizza delivery man, and he's like a kid. And so he's all dejected. He follows her into a store. Well, yeah, no, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, he's driving, and then you hear, like, these, like, electric guitar riffs, and there's a woman. And he sort of, like, has, like, a moment with somebody, but it's uh, not unlike Alice in Wonderland with the White Rabbit. where uh, <laughs> and, and, again, this is a woman who is all dressed in white. He ends up, like, following her parks his car and like chases her into a store where i guess she works and then she is like completely mystified why why are you here why are you talking to me he's like we we you looked at me we had a moment and she says no the guy in the car had a mustache that wasn't you and he puts the fake mustache on she says oh you're a, you're a boy uh i only date guys with giant fake mustaches <laughs> i thought you were a cartoon bandito <laughs> So you're saying this is really a uh, Alice in Wonder allegory here, that there's an extra subtext? Yes, yes. And that he, I, I mean, maybe. I mean, and then he ends up following the, you know, the White Rabbit into this, uh, you know, uh, crazy land of nonstop sex. 
So, see, the thing that I was thinking, I did not think for the Alice in Wonderland part. I was thinking, you know, he sees the girl and he follows after her and she shuts him down and then he puts on the big cartoony mustache and everything's good and they have Shara laugh. And I'm like, this is a Mentos commercial. We just didn't do the Mentos part at the end. <laughs> It's a senior pizza commercial. <laughs> senior pizza is big in uh, Scandinavian countries up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so Randy has hit on this woman, and she shoots him down, as you do in Beverly Hills when the pizza boy hits on you. And Randy's all dejected, and he's just bummed out in this uh, Beverly Hills clothing store. And apparently, as as always would happen in an 80s teen sex comedy, a uh, the owner of the store, this hot, beautiful woman, walks over and says, Oh, I'm going to feel bad for this guy, and I'm going to sleep with him. <laughs> Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times that has happened to me in Beverly Hills. <laughs> right. A tale as old as time. Yes. So her name is Alex, and she sees him looking all uh, ashamed, and she's like, well, that was very brave of you to come hit on that woman. And Randy's like, yeah, well, I'm just a college student. I don't know anything. And she, like, for some reason takes pity on him, and she's like, well, look, this seems like a guy who has fun and who has confidence, so I will invite him back to my suite and we'll, like, have sex together. So, again, that's yeah. every 80s comedy ever. Well, she was impressed with him that he was so bold as to follow a woman into a store and then ask her out on a, a date. Now, again, that there are probably a lot of different words for that behavior, but uh, she chose to look at the positive part of that and the boldness that it required to follow a woman and just point blank ask her to go out with him. So she ends up like dressing him in like crazy clothes <laughs> where she wants to see him in a white jacket and a fedora and then she she says, yes, now you look like you're ready to drink cappuccino. You could have some cappuccino. I don't know if cappuccino is also code. <laughs> well, so you're basically saying that Alex invented McDreamy. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, she put the fedora on him. He became, that's where he becomes McDreamy right there. Yeah. But then his car ends up getting towed, and then he that this encounter is going to end prematurely. Yeah, and it's the only thing that will end prematurely for <laughs> Randy in this movie. <laughs> okay, so so Randy's first experience with Alex is wonderful, and then what happens is she calls him back. He thinks it's going to be a one-time thing, and she's like, well, we never finished what we started, and she, this is where the whole plot of the movie will jump in. She calls Senior Pizza and specifically orders a pizza from him. She's like, I need one in Beverly Hills and seven in Costa Mesa. Which anybody who knows California knows that's probably not a realistic pizza order because Costa Mesa is like two hours away, basically. Well, it turns out that when he goes to drop off the pizza to her, she's like, I will put in that order for Costa Mesa. But no pizza place <laughs> would take an order that's like, yeah, I, I'm three hours away. I need seven pizzas. Can you do that? I mean, what did she say? Like, hey, you know, I'll pay you guys a thousand dollars. And it's like, well, what is this? Like some sort of a, uh, a hit? Why do you need a pizza from our restaurant in Costa Mesa. But she basically needed to needed him for the whole day and didn't need him to uh, get back to the pizza place. So figured to uh, send pizzas to Costa Mesa would do the trick. <laughs> yeah, and this becomes the thing that anytime somebody orders a pizza from Senior Pizza and asks for extra anchovies, it will be code for please come to my house and have sex with me. And that will word will spread around Beverly Hills. So anyway, um, what happens here? Randy goes and sleeps with Alex and the next day 
or no, the the dad, Randy's dad. This is more of the gay subplot, which again is quite prominent in this movie, where mm-hmm. the dad calls up Randy, or Randy calls the dad. He's like, "I'm not coming home tonight. I'm spending the night at a friend's house." And and the the dad hears like sex noises in the background, and Randy says, "Oh, it's just some guy I'm hanging out with." And the mm-hmm. next day, Alex Alex sends him a suit. She bought him a suit, and it comes to the house uh, sent by uh, this handsome Italian delivery boy. It says, here's a coat from Alex, but I prefer that you wear nothing. So the dad, of course, putting two and two together, doing a little Mr. Furley here, realizes, oh, my son's gay, and this will be the uh, the secondary subplot through the whole movie. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, dad is uh, very upset. And, uh, you know, uh, I think we can come out and say that... Uh... <laughs> Randy's dad is seems especially homophobic. It's almost the the worst thing that could possibly befall him is that his son is going to be gay, and it really just uh, destroys him throughout the whole movie. Just to be faced with the prospect uh, that he says uh, he uses the word fruit quite a bit, talking about oh my son is a fruit. Can you believe it? Does this kid look like a fruit to you? So he's he's very upset about uh, this uh, misunderstanding that he's having. Uh, his mom who is uh, played by, uh, which one of the uh, Charlie's Angels is she? Kate Jackson. Kate Jackson. The brainy one. Yes, she is much more progressive. Yeah, she actually is quite funny in this movie. It's one of those, I don't know if people know Kate Jackson from Charlie's Angels. She was the brainy one. And then somehow she ends up here in this sex comedy 10 years later. And she's actually quite funny in it. I think she's one of the better things in this movie. Um, Getting to the gay subplot, it's, you know, all seriousness aside, or all joking aside, that uh, obviously this was a trope that ended up in a lot of 80s comedies. They'd use it kind of as a cheap punchline or cheap uh, laughter. I mean, even today on SNL, they still do it quite a bit. In the 80s, obviously, it was much more prominent than it would today. I will defend this movie just a little bit mm-hmm. in saying in some movies, like the gay jokes will be gratuitous and kind of mean spirited. This one, I mean, obviously are a little gratuitous and they take over the movie quite a bit, but it does lead to a payoff at the end of the movie when Randy doesn't get his ass kicked because everyone assumes he's gay. Mm-hmm. So there actually is a setup and a delivery for it later. So I will I will defend it a little bit. Again, it's not something you want to see in movies anymore, but for an 80s movie, this one is is, is fairly tame by that regard, I would say. If we could, uh, I'd like to go back to Alex, who ends up indoctrinating him into the world of extra anchovies. And, you know, she spotted him. She knew he was bold, that he went after the woman that he saw and chased her into the store. But, you know, she uh, must have had some sort of a sixth sense about uh, Randy in terms of his ability to perform. And, and I, I think it's interesting because he and he tells his friend Sal later on in the film that he had sex with Alex seven times in one night. And, and I wonder if she had some sort of a uh, ability to detect that he would have uh, this uh, very short refractory period, Mario, where <laughs> he is able to perform again and again and again. I mean, there's we talked about how he's kind of a, a goofy looking guy. It's not like that he is like, you know, this incredible stud. There's no mention of him having some sort of a uh, Dirk Diggler-esque proportion or or anything of the nature. He just seems like he has some uh, a lot of youthful exuberance and the ability to perform again and again. I think the uh, the explanation for that was in the director's cut. I don't know if you've seen the director's cut of this movie. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> no, I have no idea. But I'm assuming, yeah, maybe... 
Alex just knows she seems someone who's been around the world. She's been around yes. a lot of men. So she probably just realizes that these young guys are so eager to please that they'll do anything for a woman. And again, that is kind of what happens in this movie that Randy actually is unlike all these other husbands in the movie that are all set in their ways and just demand things from their wives. He learns what they want and he's very attentive to people's needs. So, I mean, Alex, she's the real MVP here. Yeah, she's a twinkle in his eye. She's like the uh, Branch Ricky of sex that she was able to, you know, identify and say, okay, this is the guy who is going to be the ultimate gigolo of Southern California this summer. <laughs> the Branch Ricky, really? <laughs> <laughs> she's spot. She had an eye for talent. <laughs> so he was a trailblazer, basically. Yes. <laughs> He's the Jackie Robinson of banging milfs in Beverly Hills. Yeah, I don't know if he crossed any sort of a barrier like a Jackie Robinson, but uh, that, you know, that he, he was a diamond in the rough that Alex was able to identify. <laughs> so the first uh, encounter with Alex has gone well, and then Alex keeps calling Randy back. And I think the next time she pays him for the first time, she gives him like $2,000. And he's like, oh, no, I can't. I think it was 200 I think it was 200 200 Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah he's not 2000 worthy. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. So she pays him for his time, his, att his attention, his sex, and he's like, oh, no, this is – it makes me feel dirty. And she's like, but, honey, I'm rich, and you're not. And, like, if you were rich and I was not, you would give me money, right, just because you think it would help me? And he's like, well, yeah. And she's like, just think of it as the Randy Bodick scholarship fund I'm paying for your college. And this is where it really kind of clicks that this is a big money-making venture, that he's not just out sleeping with strangers. All of a sudden, people are going to pay him. And what happens is Alex will do, you know, pay the pay it forward even more. She's going to help him out. Now she's going to start spreading the word around Beverly Hills to all these lonely middle aged rich housewives that, hey, if you want a quick fling and there's no it's, it's no strings attached with a guy who's really attentive and good with women, call this place, ask for extra anchovies and your life will change. And this will impact Randy's life significantly. Yeah, that uh, he's going to start building up a uh, big client base uh, very quickly. There are a lot of women in the Los Angeles area that are looking for somebody with his talents. I think the next day he comes to work at Senior Pizza and there's five orders already and they all <laughs> request him and they're all for extra anchovies. And he's like, man, I'm going to get chafed. Yeah. And so, so, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about some of these women that Randy meets here. You mentioned earlier uh, Kyoto. Kyoko was her name. Yes. Kyoko, I believe, was the first non-Alex woman. And uh, Kyoko is a woman who is married to a uh, American businessman who we will meet later on in the movie. And she has a uh, a fantasy that she would like to act out. Yeah, she doesn't uh, specify it. We just kind of see it. It's basically they're in silk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is. Bouncing around on each other like in a bouncy castle. <laughs> I don't know. She's really into silhouettes. <laughs> but her husband is like a big game hunter. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like he, we, This will be the running subplot of the movie that every woman that Randy sleeps with has an incredibly dangerous husband. Yes. And like her husband has all these trophies of animals he's killed. And he's got these sentry robots in his house, which I completely forgot about until I watched it today. Yeah, the robots are actually pretty hilarious. That He is also like some sort of a businessman where he's importing these uh, Japanese security robots. And th that guy... Uh, he's played by uh, Vic Tabak, and uh, that uh, he, I guess, best known for being Mel on the uh, from uh, the show Alice. Mm -hmm. 
That's him. So this is his other claim to fame, the big game hunter whose wife is getting uh, slept with by uh, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, uh, he's very funny. I mean, he's almost like this uh, Biff Tannen-esque figure in the movie. The, the corresponding husbands, they end up like becoming friends, and uh, the, 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 there's a lot of fun stuff that the movie does with those guys. <laughs> okay, yeah, so Randy is now acquiring a client base. He's got Kyoko, and uh, it's funny, It's again, we're going to go through this movie where where as Randy is acquiring new lovers and new clients, his parents keep discovering all these clues that they think he's gay. Like they find his suitcase from college that has all his girlfriend stuff in it. They think he's a cross-dresser. Well, yeah, that was bizarre. First off, I don't even understand why there's like a suitcase that like, he has like two bags. And one of them is a like a you know, really old style suitcase that's just filled with panties. And I, I don't, it doesn't even make any sense that, that, that it was his girlfriend. Like, who who travels like this? <laughs> yeah, he could be a serial killer. I Like, why do they jump right to the cross-dresser? Yeah, and the dad opens it up and says, like, oh, my son dresses in women's underwear also. But it, it was just so bizarre. Like, he never realizes that he has uh, the girlfriend's suitcase. Like, uh, why does the girlfriend just have, like, a suitcase, you know, that's just, like, uh, 50 pairs of underwear loose in a suitcase? crazy if i came home from college with a suitcase with like women's underwear in it my dad would have high-fived me he's like hey you talked to a girl nice job because <laughs> that was not a given that i was going to talk to a girl ever so yeah mm -hmm. my dad would have been so proud so yeah i do think it is maybe a jump in logic that they jump right to that right and we also don't need to spend a lot of time on also just because uh if randy was gay he's not a cross-dressing like uh, there's a lot of misconceptions that i think that uh mr bodick might have about the uh life of a gay person yeah and as we were saying at the start of the podcast that might be one of the reasons you don't see this movie a lot anymore <laughs> patrick Dempsey's people buried it. <laughs> yeah mcdreamy shut it down yeah, because in looking for it, like uh, there was um, uh, I went to a site that said, oh, you can, you know, buy this on uh, on Windows. And it's like, no, you can't get by it anywhere. <laughs> I was looking for it. And all I found was a documentary on the band. Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to watch the band on <laughs> the documentary. I love her boy. Yes. Uh, do you think this movie has any chance to be remade, Mario? Probably not. I mean, they could do the thing where they do the re the gender re reversal. Yeah, that's the tends to be the thing I could maybe see this as a female lead. The, the gender reversal has more problems, I think, of that. We have like this, uh, you know, uh, 20 year old woman that's going out and uh, prostituting herself. I think that that's going to be uh, an issue. Right. Yeah. And so where the parents would be, oh, my God, my daughter's a lesbian. Is that where they were <laughs> going on that one? I think we could lose that subplot. Yeah, I think we'll drop this movie. It's not going to be remade. Hey, I didn't think that they could remake Overboard, but they did that. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, that I heard your rant on that. Well done. <laughs> yeah. That was not a movie I ever thought would be remade. I'm like, no one was clamoring to see more of that movie. <laughs> Again, that was another movie that was on HBO a ton, but just like in thinking about it, it's like, hey, did a guy uh, just take a woman that had amnesia and then uh, make her his wife <laughs> and then tell her she had to clean his house? Like, uh, that doesn't seem right. Okay. We'll save that for when we do the Overboard podcast, because we could talk okay. about that one for hours, I think. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so Randy is, again, acquiring client base, and I think his buddy at work, he's got a buddy, Sal, Sal. or something like that. And yeah. Sal is just so impressed with what Randy's pulling off that he's getting paid to sleep with rich women. He's like, how do you do that? That's like the greatest job ever. And they do this whole thing, how much... 
how much money Randy needs to pay it for college when he goes back in the end of the summer. And he need, only needs to sleep with 43 women. So yeah. this is your goal for college students. That's the, the goal post you're going to go for. And so this is where Randy just goes on a rampage and starts sleeping with anybody who calls in an order. And this is where we meet all the other big name stars of this movie. Can we just uh, touch on Sal for one second? Uh, Sal seemed really invested in uh, the <laughs> amount of sex that Randy was having in the movie. Like he was a real bro in terms of just uh, being real. Like his Randy's problems were his own. That Sal was very was very invested in making sure that everything went according to plan for Randy without any sort of you know uh, mention of what Sal was going to get in return. Would he be the first wingman in uh, TV history and movie history? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know what what was in it for him. He ends up being rewarded with a woman of his own at the end. But other than that, I mean, he's just a running point, And there's like no talk of what's in it for him other than I guess he got to hear the stories. It was like proximity to a guy who was having sex. He's like uh, Magic Johnson. He's dishing off the assists left and right here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, oh! I will say Sal is maybe the star of my favorite underrated scene in this movie. There's one scene, and I completely forgot about this, this great bit of slapstick right towards the end of the movie where, I, I don't know if you'll remember the scene where Randy is running out to sleep with like his last client to meet, reach his goal. Yeah. And Sal has a pizza in his hand, and Sal spins around, throws it to his buddy across the table, and the buddy hands it off to Randy as Randy's running out the door. And Sal mm -hmm. does this little spin. It's this cool little, again, like Magic Johnson, he's dishing off literally the assist as randy goes off to to plant his seed <laughs> oh boy do you remember that that scene you know i i don't remember that specific piece of business <laughs> okay well for all the two or three people who are going to go watch lover boy after listening to this mm -hmm. podcast watch for that it's kind of about 20 minutes before the end of this movie one of the these great stunts that would fit absolutely in with a jim carrey movie at his peak just everyone doing this crazy physical humor to get the pizza out the door it's kind of fun yeah Okay, so here we go. So Randy is now meeting his his big high-profile clients. This is where we meet Kirstie Alley. Yes. At her peak, right off of Cheers. At the height of her powers. Yeah, this is, uh yeah, before she did Drop Dead Gorgeous and she was in the Gladys Lehman phase of her career. And then we meet um Carrie Fisher, of all people, shows up here. Yeah, Carrie Fisher, I think they must have had her for, like, one day. because, uh, And she's billed as, like, the second lead in the movie in the credits. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they had her for basically – she's in the one scene and then, uh, again, at the – in, like, the uh, whatever happened to at the end of the movie, uh, you see her there. But she's good. She's good in the one, in the one scene. I mean, I think they probably, had like, uh, talked to Carrie Fisher's agent. And like, you could have her for one day in this movie. But she ends up uh, after Patrick Dempsey, Kate Jackson, Carrie Fisher. So She's the uh, third lead in this film. Yeah, although there's one scene I didn't understand this movie where Carrie Fisher is, like, floating through space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That didn't make a lot of sense. How does that fit in with the movie? I don't get the director's vision there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so Kirstie Alley is, like, she's a doctor, and she's married to another rich doctor, and she's the one that teaches Randy. She's like, you know, it's not just about sex. Sometimes a woman just wants to be romance. Like, why don't we learn to dance? And, like, she teaches him how to ballroom dance. And this is where Randy starts learning what a woman needs and wants. And, like, he starts to think every morning after he leaves, he leaves a little rose petal or a little rose on their bed. Uh, not unlike the wet bandits that he is going to have a calling card, which is ultimately going to uh, get him in trouble. Do you think that he did he have sex with uh, Kirstie Alley? 
He must have because it's implied later in the movie that Dr. Reed sees like dozens of charges on their credit card. So at some point he must have slept with her. See, I think that he just went there to do dancing all the time. I feel like that he that she was one of the people that he never ended up sleeping with. That at the end of the movie, when he's telling Jenny, though, no, what? Like, I didn't sleep with all of them. They just wanted uh, attention. And I think that she just wanted a dance partner. So so when he says, you know, I, there was 43 women, I only slept with 41 of them that she's one <laughs> of the two, the loophole. Right. Right. So I think that that would be, uh, you know, that, that, that helps a, a little bit. She could be a witness on uh, on his behalf. Also, uh, that Kirstie Alley, who ended up having her big break in Star Trek II: the Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. is actually married in this film to Robert Picardo, who is uh, probably best known as being the doctor on Star Trek Voyager. So oh. Star Trek connection. And his name almost sounds like Picard. Yes. Yes. So and and it's weird to see him with hair here. He was on the Wonder Years too, right? Uh, he was like the he was like one like Kevin Arnold's uh, teacher on a lot of the Wonder Years. Oh yeah, my that's my wife's all time favorite show. We have every episode. I I know he's in there all over the place. He's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Randy is I get more of the uh, the gay subplot here where Randy is now practicing ballroom dancing at home. There's flowers laying around the house, and the dad is of course going more threes company. Like, oh my God, my son, what have I done? <laughs> Again, it seems gratuitous, but there will be a payoff later in the movie where it will literally save Randy's life. So, yeah. Well, I like when the dad comes in. It's like, hey, Randy, check this out. Uh, Sports Illustrated football edition is here. And he's like, uh, I don't care, dad. And he's like trying to give him a ball. I, I guess at one, some point Randy was a baseball player because we see pictures of him in his uh, baseball uniform. But uh, <laughs> dad's trying to pull him back. But uh, he's not dad. He's not interested. Yeah, and just a quick little underrated moment where, yeah, like you said, the dad comes in with the Sports Illustrated, and Randy shows no interest in it whatsoever because he's, like, reading a a women's magazine with a cologne sample inside. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, Dad, I'm not interested. And he's like, smell this. And the dad's like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, we go through a whole montage where Randy is learning how to dance, learning all these skills. Yeah, he's learning massage, which he's got, like, a little catcher's chest protector with with softballs there for the breasts, and he's he's showing how he can do a delicate massage on a person. It's very, very nice skills. He's learning a trade. That's the thing here. Right, but I think that all of that sporting equipment is probably rendered useless from here on out. You don't ever want to swing a baseball bat that has been massaged with baby oil, I wouldn't imagine. (laughs) Seems dangerous. It's like the opposite of pine tar. <laughs> so, so the bat will go pinwheeling out and be killing people. Yes. Okay. So, and the the thing that's going to haunt Randy here is that Randy is now getting so much business. He now starts accepting credit cards. Yeah. Which later on in the movie, we're, there's going to be a reveal about this, but the credit card transactions were all going to Senior Pizza. And I'm not sure how that Randy and Sal work this out with Senior Pizza himself, where if I'm a pizza delivery guy and I'm putting all these credit card charges on the business that I work at, I don't know how Randy ultimately gets that $200 other than – like is is he being tipped out from the restaurant like four thousand dollars for tips i mean uh, i don't know how they work that out yeah i don't know if you know this you're probably too young but in 1989 h&r block named this the least realistic tax movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that is a good point though how is he getting his cut he's not getting paid under the table now yeah, so uh, it, it's it's bizarre. It's also the the guy that is his boss there. I'm not sure if he has a name, 
But he's like, kid, I don't know what you're doing out there, but uh, we got five more orders for you. And like, he doesn't stop there. Yeah, what are you doing out there? Why are people calling up? Because I would think he's dealing drugs. Yeah, and that he's spending two, three hours on each pizza delivery. Like, what, what the hell's going on? And I guess if you're bringing in $200 per pizza delivery, you don't ask any questions. But yeah, you think at a certain point, it may have affect his business and the legality. He'd want to know this stuff. Yeah, and the pizza place itself is not making money hand over fist, other than if they're looking at these credit card statements and saying like, oh my God, we're, you know, we made $5,000 on on these deliveries in the last two weeks. But I mean, the the business is getting what like a couple of extra pizzas i mean uh they're thrilled with the work he's doing but I, it's not really having an effect on the bottom line well yeah think of the mileage he's putting on that car <laughs> yes the sombrero pizza car and they only have the one car they're not going to get a backup you cannot get another sombrero car like right off the bat off a lot Mm-hmm. that's right Okay, so Randy, again, just lots of little funny, goofy things going on in this movie. And there's a scene in here that I, I kind of forgot about until I watched it today that it actually made me laugh, where Randy shows up at this one house in Beverly Hills for this woman who's ordered extra anchovies on the pizza. And she's like this hot, bikini blonde coming out of a swimming pool in Beverly Hills. And, and so she meets him in the living room, and he just starts taking his pants off. And it turns out that she didn't want sex. She just ordered pizza for her kids. Right. And I think that also pokes a big hole in the, oh, no, it wasn't always just about sex. It was uh, there was some women like he walks in a house and she's like, oh, but uh, the right there is fine. Uh, and he just like completely just uh, like immediately is disrobing. So I, I don't know if it was really. No, I was just I was I was mostly talking. Yeah, it's just naked ballroom dancing. They like to dance naked. Yeah, I was making them more comfortable, you know, like public speaking. Of, <laughs> they were imagining me in the, in my underwear. <laughs> Uh, but you you uh, didn't mention the antagonist of the film, the main uh, antagonist, Jory, at all. Oh, yeah. See, I forgot his name. Okay, uh, a quick overview. There's a rich guy. As always in the 80s, there's always the rich bully, and he's got, like, the sweater tied, to, tied around his neck. Mm -hmm. Just a classic 80s villain, and he's he's trying to move in on Randy's girlfriend, Jenny. Jenny. Yeah, so he's, like, the sub-villain, and we'll see him kind of pop in from time to time. He'll get more prominent as the movie goes on. But yeah, he is, he is trying to sneak in here and uh, pull an end run and take out and get the girlfriend. I'm not sure exactly what his issue is. If he's infatuated with Jenny or if he just really hates Randy for some reason, mm -hmm. uh, we, we see him a couple times in the film. He has a signature insult that he uh, uses. He calls Randy ironically, no dick a couple times in the film, which is the most ironic of nicknames to call Randy. I don't know why. The, and it really seems to make Randy irate the second time that he gets called no dick by Jory, where it's almost like his trigger, like Marty McFly, of like that, you know, I, I'm so proud of my manhood. Nobody calls me no dick. I'll show you. Well, I mean, to be fair, Randy has been sleeping with so many women, it might be getting filed down and chafing quite a bit. So, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's possible. Also, that Jory is uh, not the greatest guy either, that uh, his signature move happens to be that he brings all these women to make out point. And uh, he gets a little bit, I believe the clinical term is date rapey with these women in his convertible. Yeah, again, another 80s trope that was perhaps best left in the 80s, the, the bad guy whose signature move is the date rape. 
<laughs> right. I'm going to bring this girl up to lookout point, and then I am going to, uh, uh, you know, force myself on her. And we'll see Jory uh, do this a couple times. Yeah, the the one thing that it, that springs to my mind when I'm watching Jory in this movie is like, was William Zabka busy? I mean, where the <laughs> hell was he? Was he golf in college or something? He might have passed on this. <laughs> he doesn't pass on stuff. <laughs> hey, it was 1989. <laughs> it was a different time. That's right. I forgot he was he was at Yale. He was hot. <laughs> yes, pursuing his master's degree or something. A lot going on. <laughs> okay, so. So everything is going well for Randy, even though he's he's sleeping with these women and making all these powerful husbands angry. Now we get the scene where he almost gets caught. And this is where he starts getting terrified, where he's with Kyoko and they're in a bubble bath. And then her husband, the big game cutter, uh, uh, Mel from Mel's Diner, comes home from apparently it's a short shift and he's home from the diner that day. Yeah. And he catches her and he's like. Something's wrong here. You've been too happy. Like there's a rose on the bed. You've been taking bubble baths. I'd like to take a bath in the middle of the day. Wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. So he starts looking around and Randy's in the house and Randy's running around and ducking under beds. And again, this is a uh, what I would say is it's a silly scene, but it, there's a lot of physical comedy here going yeah. on from Patrick Dempsey. That's quite impressive. Like I, I was kind of a. I think I underestimated him in the 80s. He's actually really good at this kind of stuff. Yeah. But it ends up, yeah, he keeps bumping into these security robots, and they have a re refrain. It's like these these little uh, like gadgets, like in Gremlins, the dad would bring home these inventions from Chinatown or whatever. Yeah, and they're like these security robots that say, bad boy, bad dude, violator. <laughs> you bad boy, you bad boy, bad dude. <laughs> You bad dude. I mean, they're they're very funny that they're they're calling out to that guy Henry. No, that's not Henry. Uh, they're calling they're calling out to uh Harry, and they're asking him like uh Papa, Papa, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> he's very particular. Like, my, uh, what what are you doing to my robots? It's very funny. Yeah, so Randy almost gets caught, and he's scared for his life now because some of these guys are going to come and kill him. So he goes back to uh, the pizza place, and he tells Sal, you know, no more. It's getting too scary. It's too dangerous. And Sal's like, you know, coincidentally enough, hey, you only need one more. I've been keeping your spreadsheet. Apparently, Sal's got a little rudimentary Excel spreadsheet he's been working out here. And he's like, mm -hmm. one more, and you've raised enough money to pay for college. So Randy's like, all right, one more. And this is where we get the signature scene in this movie, the payoff, where... There's been a subplot the whole movie that Randy's parents are having difficulties and the mom thinks the dad's having an affair. And so the mom decides, well, if he can have an affair, I have one too. And she's heard about this pizza delivery boy in Beverly Hills who will sleep with you, no questions asked. So Randy's own mother calls the pizza restaurant, asks for a pizza with extra anchovies, and hilarity will ensue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are going to get the mom. Again, it's one of these situations where the mom is not necessarily, uh, you know, sexually frustrated or anything like that. It's just like, oh, well, my husband's having an affair. So uh, really, I'll stick it to him by having sex with somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, the mom calls Senior Pizza and asks for the delivery boy, not knowing it's her son that's going to come uh, bang her. <laughs> And so, yeah, and then she gets cold feet. Randy's on the way to deliver the pizza, and, and she calls up, and this is a funny scene where she's like, uh, I don't want the pizza. I don't need it anymore. And the manager's like, lady, you ordered it, and it's coming out there. You better pay for it. And she's like, but I'm a married woman. <laughs> He's like, I don't care what you do with it. <laughs> uh, you know, something else that uh, I noticed in the world of this film that it, it's very important that every single married couple in this universe, that they all have a basically eight by ten 
LinkedIn photo <laughs> profile of the husband in any given marriage. And what you do is that, and this is what I'm going to go in downstairs and check and to see if my wife is having an affair. If the photo of the husband's face ends up getting face down, that is the tell that your wife is sleeping with another man. It is. And that was the thing in the 80s for people who didn't grow up in the 80s. You used to have framed photos of your loved ones in every room. That was just the mm -hmm. thing. So, yeah. yeah. The turn down, it was like, it's like mortgaging a property in Monopoly. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but no, nobody has a, a, a photo of the couple together. They all have just 8 by 10 framed headshot of the husband and then at the point that they have sex with randy that photo gets face down <laughs> i actually don't remember that but that's hilarious now i'm gonna watch that and look for that yeah every single person every every in the montage that everybody gets their photo turned down <laughs> okay and this is the scene again this is kind of a it's maybe not the funniest comedy in the 80s. It's not the best, not the worst. It's one of these, you know, middling 80s silly comedies. But there is a scene here that I always thought was one of my favorites in any scene in uh, any comedy of the 80s. The when Randy jumps out of the hotel room to avoid his mother. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. one even at the time. My brother, again, I was 15 when I saw this movie and they would show this scene endlessly on the commercials for hyping this movie. It's where Randy goes into the hotel room and his mother's there and like, you know, a bunch of uh, just they just barely miss each other walking up the stairs, him thinking he's going to sleep with some lady. She thinking that there's some gigolo coming, not knowing, you know, their blood relative. But he gets in the bathroom and he sees her in the in the bedroom unchanging. She's in her slip or underwear. And he's like, oh, my God, that's my mom. I can't. I'm like not Marty McFly. I can't do this. Yeah. And so he goes to the window and he's trying to jump out of the bathroom and there's a little girl underneath him down by the pool with this giant lobster float toy. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I've never seen a float toy like that big and that elaborate before. Right. But it's just big enough that a person could jump on and land safely. And he does this wonderful stunt fall where he jumps and lands on it and it lets out this pathetic squeak as he hits it. <laughs> and my brother and I, and again, when I'm 15, that's like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the movie, that bit of slapstick. And it still, I think, holds up today. I'm just certain. Is that something that calls out to you from this movie, the squeak toy? Well, I thought it was the most asinine way to possibly jump out of a window. I mean, I don't know how he did not shatter his tailbone into <laughs> 500 pieces. That he, for if you if you don't remember, I was trying to get out of the window. He's like in a second story bathroom, and I don't know why he doesn't like lower himself and hang down by his hands, and then it would be like sort of like a six foot drop from there. But he ends up, like, jumping out and going, like, butt first onto, you know, a pool raft, which, I don't know, what, what was it, eight inches? Thing? Like, it, <laughs> I don't think that that would have provided adequate protection. Uh, I'm not a physicist, but uh, I think he's dead or he's in a wheelchair the rest of his life if he attempted what he did in the movie. Yeah, I don't think he even lands on his tailbone. He lands straight on his back. Like, he, he does the, the, the Fosbury flop. He tries to go straight down onto his back. And not only that, he drops the pizza first. So yeah. the pizza lands on the float toy, and then he jumps onto the pizza, which is the pizza extra protection. Like yes. I've, I've seen a little plastic thing that holds the pizza up. <laughs> I don't think that's going to cushion the blow. <laughs> yeah, the pizza was probably in rough shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so again, one of the signature moments of the scene where he jumps to avoid his mother, he runs back to the hotel, he grabbed or to the, the pizza restaurant, he grabs the Italian guy, Tony, and he says, Tony, go deliver this to this room and sleep with my mother. 
Yeah, Which what? <laughs> why? I, I, it made no sense why, hey, there's a lady in this hotel room. And the whole movie, it's like, oh, Tony, what an Italian stallion he is. He's he's sleeping with all these women left and right. Tony, you don't normally do the pizza delivery, but my mom is waiting to have sex with some stranger in a room. <laughs> Go bring her this pizza and tell her there's no anchovies. It's over. Yeah, I mean, that's a kid who looks out for his mom right there. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Here's Tony. Right, because I like, oh, I can't have my mom sit there in a hotel room all turned on the whole day and not have any resolution. Uh, that'll be the worst thing ever if my mom just waits there and gets stood up by a pizza. So I need to send Tony over there to go and, uh, you know, let her know that the party's over. Yeah, again, why this movie probably will not be remade. Well, the other really crazy thing about the whole situation with the mom where she is waiting to have the affair, that there is all this talk during the movie about how there's this big 20th year anniversary party for Randy's parents. And the mom decides to go have an affair at the hotel room at the exact same time that the party was going to be. And they don't even cancel the party or tell people not to come that she's just like, Oh, I'm just not going to go to the party. Instead. I will go and have an affair with this pizza delivery. I mean, I guess it would have been a real message to send to Randy's dad to not only no show for the 20th anniversary party, but also to have sex with another person during the 20th anniversary party party but it just seems very rude to the guests yeah exactly that's a lot of catering you paid for and stuff at the very least you want to cancel the party again those beverly hills everyone's got so much money floating around i guess they don't care tiki joe's i'm not sure if there was uh you know a, a hefty cancellation fee if you called it off it might have been just no difference whether or not and, uh, and then it really would have been randy's dad with all the egg on his face <laughs> okay speaking of randy's dad let's talk about there's another uh, big name, fairly big name star in this movie that all throughout the movie that the, the mom keeps thinking that Randy's dad's having an affair with the secretary. Yes. Who is Randy's secretary? She's the girl that's uh, Pee Wee Herman's girlfriend in uh, Big Top Pee Wee. All right. Pee Big Adventure. Dottie. Yeah, that's uh, Dottie. <laughs> Elizabeth Daly. Who she's really best known for a, being a voiceover actress. She does the Rugrats. She's really, really one of the most prominent voiceover actresses in Hollywood. But for a while, she was a mainstream actress. And she's in like a Valley Girl. And then people know her from Pee Wee's Big Adventure as Dottie. And yeah, she shows up here as the secretary. And, and she squeaks a lot. She's very squeaky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she needed to sleep in the trailer at the uh, Bodic uh, construction site. But then there's a point where Randy's dad ends up getting uh, really wasted with Mel and then ends up coming back and getting in the bed with her. But he forgets that she's there. But uh, all all signs point to uh, Randy's dad having an affair, according to uh, Randy's mom. Yeah. And this is what I said earlier in the podcast. We're going to wrap up this movie here. But everything starts getting very convoluted that every storyline intersects with another. And like I said, you almost need like a flow chart to follow the ending of this movie because so many subplots are going to be converging all at once. Not unlike Jack, Chrissy and Janet all converging at the Regal Beagle at once like the three's company here. Yeah. Well, you have the significant others of a number of the women that Randy has slept with and they end up sort of they're They're all thinking that something is going on because they all find the rose at the house and they're all uh, concerned that their wife is sleeping with somebody. And then there's some suspicion, which is uh, led by 
Harry, a.k.a. Mel, and uh, that he ends up going to go bring in uh, uh, Robert Picardo. And then there's this bodybuilder guy. And then I, just, I like the scenes of those uh, the three guys hanging out together. They're just like, like they're driving around, you know, uh, drinking scotch, just on a mission to go find the guy that's having sex with their wives. And there's a song they play on the radio to get pumped up. What song is that? Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> it's like, yeah! I mean, this is like they're on like some bachelor party. Like, uh, <laughs> three best friends there ever could be. Uh, they're on like this, this buddy comedy to go find the guy that's banging their wives. <laughs> okay, and this is the part I mentioned earlier in the movie that the gay subplot actually has a payoff here, where this whole movie, everybody thinks that randy's gay except for sal sal's the only one that knows randy's you know the biggest gigolo in in la county and there's a, a scene earlier in the movie where randy's dad is sitting with mel the uh i don't forget his name whatever the big game hunter kyoko's husband <laughs> harry yeah and mel and the dad is just spilling his guts and saying you know my son's gay and i don't know how to deal with it and you think it will happen to some other dad you don't think it'll be you and so they know that bodak's kid is gay and so all the the husbands show up at Senior Pizza and they're going to kick the ass of the delivery boy who's been sleeping with their wife. And they see Randy there. And this is where there's a payoff where where uh, Mel says, uh, wait, that guy's not a gigolo. That guy's a homo or something like that. I forget the exact <laughs> word. It's something sensitive like that. But again, there is a point for that subplot in the movie because that spares Randy's life. And Randy's able to slink away as they all go after Jory, the rich kid, the William Zabka. And he basically gets a, a giant ass beating here. Yes, well, what happens is that Jenny, who lives in Santa Barbara, she actually shows up looking for Randy. I guess she's going to attend the 20th anniversary party. But then I guess Jory gets word that Jenny is there. And there was one night where when Jory it was in the middle of date raping somebody, he caught out of the corner of his eye that Randy was there with an older lady. And so he wanted to come and spill the beans on Randy and then uh, proceeded to take Jenny to the same makeout point and then tried to put his moves on her. And then uh, she ended up getting away. And then he ends up then uh, like a big confrontation where he's going to fight Jory. And then they, uh, the uh, husbands think that Jory is the delivery boy. And so they beat his ass. Yeah. I love listening to you struggle to try to explain the end of this movie. Yeah. I'm like, I thank God it's not me, because there's so many things going on all at once. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yes. And we're throwing names at you. It's impossible for us to just just get through your head that crazy things are happening. Everyone, there's a misunderstanding on everybody's part. <laughs> they all converge at this anniversary party at the end. And like at one point, Tony, the Italian guy, is chasing after the mom, trying to sleep with her because she's refused him in the hotel room. And he, right. He's never been refused before. And, uh... Well, American women are just so submissive. They do whatever he wants. It's such a turnoff for Tony where he said he had said at one point in the movie that if, if a woman ever said no to him, it would be the biggest turn on. And so when Randy's mom can't go through with having sex with Tony, he becomes infatuated with her. <laughs> And ends up having like this is like a, a big car chase where he's on a, a moped trying to uh, track her down. And then inexplicably, he ends up like crashing his moped and goes flying. <laughs> like, did somebody cut the brakes? Why did he lose the ability to stop the motorcycle? It just makes me realize when they reboot this movie that Meryl Streep should star in it. <laughs> like, I have no idea what the hell's going on in this movie at this point. 
<laughs> yeah, the mom realizes like, oh my god, I'm about to make a terrible mistake. I gotta get to my 20th anniversary party. And then they get there, and he's like, try. He's he's coming in, and he's chasing the mom, and he just like <laughs> crashes like full speed into a parked car and goes flying with no helmet. <laughs> so. So when a woman turns him down, pretty sure he died. Yeah, well, well, he's got the big Italian hair, and so it cushions the fall. And we can say that to us being Italians. Yeah. But I was gonna say with with uh, the woman turning him down, that just turns him on more. Is he the Italian version of Jory? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. No means no, Tony. Yeah. Although Tony has a great line here, where the mom is turning him down in the hotel room, and Tony's like. But what? Like, I am I am Tony. I am Italian. And what's mm-hmm. the line? I wrote it down here. He's like, I lie. I say we have no more anchovies, but I have many, many anchovies for you. Yeah. She's like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I was on Charlie's Angels. I'm not doing this scene. <laughs> a harrowing tale. Uh, we also have Randy and Jenny trying to work out their differences. And, and they have a talk. And Jenny's like, look, uh, how am I supposed to feel that you had sex with all of these women and how would you like it if I had sex with all these guys? Oh, I would hate it. But then uh, he basically just like kind of changes the subject. And then by the end of the movie, she's kind of over it. Yeah, she's cool. Again, 80s comedies are all resolved very quickly at the end. It's like, all right, well, you slept with 43 women or at least 41 of them. But it's cool. Yeah. And he's like, I did it because these women needed attention and that their husbands uh, wouldn't talk to them. And they were lonely. So I did it. I did it for them. So I could get back to you. I can't. I can't even believe you're making me feel bad about this. They especially needed attention, doggy style. <laughs> they were lonely women. I was doing something nice. Uh, I learned how to treat a woman, so it will only benefit you in the future. But yeah, anyway, it all works out. We go to the party and just slapstick and chaos, and the 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 three husbands get arrested and they go to jail and yeah and then like tony ends up with the secretary with eg daily and the parents get back together and randy ends up with jenny and just a heartwarming tale all wrapped up nicely with a little bow as 80s comedies tended to do yeah i, I don't think you're doing justice to how crazy that uh final scene is <laughs> because at, at the you know the big 20th anniversary party we ha- have the you know the three husbands finally think they're going to uh get randy and they're all chasing him they're coming in from different directions there's like live uh, a live band they're all like pushing a uh, a giant piano to try to pin him up against a wall so they could presumably murder him they end up pushing a piano out a window onto a passing police car uh which ends up getting them all arrested i mean i think that legally randy i don't has he broken a law here mario i mean is is uh, i guess prostitution (laughs) yeah that's a good question i'm not entirely sure we'll have to get in some legal experts maybe again this is explained in the director's cut where they there's like 40 extra minutes Maybe you could get Cass back to talk about the, the legality here, because I, I don't believe that, that he's broken a law in terms of the adultery. But in terms of the uh, providing the certain – I mean could he say that, well, I was an escort. I provided company uh, to these women, and but, but I do feel like that if uh, – you know he's lucky that he wasn't having sex with a lawyer's wife because I do think that, that some of these uh, transactions – had they gone through them with a fine-tooth comb, he was lucky it was, you know, a doctor, a uh, big-game hunter, and a bodybuilder were some of the guys that were on his case. Yeah, well, again, you're forgetting that the transactions were just going to Senior Pizza, 
So again, there's no paper trail that leads directly to him. So he could feign ignorance and say, I have no part of this. I had nothing to do with it. So again, it's, I will leave that to the lawyers to decide if he was indeed an escort. Mm -hmm. And if indeed before he was McDreamy, if he was McBackpage. Yeah. Also at the party, then the, is the, there's the long awaited introduction of Jenny to Randy's dad. This is my girlfriend that I've been living with two years and he ended that what a relief for Randy to find out that actually there is a young woman that he has been with. And he's actually been sleeping with uh, a ton of different women and uh, including uh, potentially, I, I guess I don't think that the dad ever gets the word that uh, Randy almost had sex with his mom. <laughs> no, but we do find out that Randy at one point slept with Jory's mom. Y yeah. Um, that Jory's mom is at the party. Did we see her in the montage? We never did. I don't think at any point in the movie she is there. And then all of a sudden they find out that Randy's an escort who's been sleeping around town. And Jory's mom is like, ah, like <laughs> she laughs all knowing. Now, why were Jory and his mom invited to the party? Are they family friends of the Bodex? I, that, that seems like a big a plot hole I'd like to explain or explore more. Yeah, it, there was no mention of that. I mean, was this another misunderstanding where Jory didn't realize that his mom was a family friend of the Bodex? <laughs> yeah. Or Randy, Jory didn't know who his mother was? Maybe this was the first time he was adopted or something? <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it even more convoluted here at the end. Well, there is the recognition of like, Mom! Uh, but, uh, yes, and, and nobody really uh, squealed on Jory that uh, he is, <laughs> he's a serial date raper. Nobody, nobody told his mom about that well it was a first offense <laughs> no, it wasn't oh yeah it wasn't yeah but again yeah that's the thing with these 80s movies and again to a modern audience they they may look a little insensitive they may not look perhaps perhaps particularly responsible in some of the themes they delve into but again for us kids growing up in the 80s and 90s they were just silly movies and again they wouldn't obviously make lover boy the same way today but it's it's all done fairly innocently in the movie and everyone's happy at the end and there's no real victims at the end and everyone just kind of works out for them so yeah so well well done uh, patrick dempsey for giving us this morality tale of light and hopefulness yes uh, and you know the movie speaks to a particular time and a place where in, you know in 1989 there was no uh, you know, uh, dating apps where you could go on. There was no Tinder. So if you were a woman looking to have an affair on your husband, you just had to ask your friends, hey, do you know any guys I could sleep with? And then they would give you a number. And that's how the the, the gigolo business would uh, really take off. That's true. That is very true. And, and again, if you were a pizza delivery boy back then, it was much easier to meet these rich women. Yeah, that, the women, they just, they were, there was no internet. You couldn't just go out and find a guy who had a hot picture. You just had to like, basically order any sort of food and have a, have a man come to your house and then try to proposition him. Yeah, it was the golden age of Mexican-Italian pizza fusion delivery. <laughs> I don't think we ever quite had that golden age again. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's Loverboy. And uh, we get, get like an epilogue where uh, we see that uh, Kyoko did not bail Harry out of jail. She did not. That's right. Uh, Carrie Fisher gets together with her husband and the doctors, uh, Kirstie Alley and Dr. Uh, Picard, uh, Captain Picard. They get back together, <laughs> but not Kyoko. Kyoko does not bail her husband out. So she now inherits all those robots, apparently. So now she owns them. 
Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that he got. I mean, I don't think he like went to jail or did time. I mean, she didn't bail him out that day, but that probably only made him more mad when he came home. Well, yeah, I should point out that pushing a piano onto a police car, you probably aren't going to get life in prison for that. He'll probably be out in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did they go easy because it was three guys? They sort of split it between uh, the three of them. I, I mean, I got to think that he is uh, not doing any hard time for the crimes he committed in this movie. <laughs> Yes. No, he's at Alcatraz. They sent him out there to to rot and die. Yeah, I think that Kyoko should just get a divorce. <laughs> okay. Um. Let's see. Anything else to wrap up about Loverboy? Pretty sure we went through it pretty uh, comprehensively. Again, I want to point out that the odd thing about this movie is it sounds like this cheap sex comedy, but it is interesting when you watch it in reality that it's directed by a woman and it's it does focus a lot more on what the women why they're hiring Randy in the first place. And again, it's not just sex for a lot of them. So again, it's, it's, it's a cheap, sleazy 80s, 80s comedy, but it's not as cheap and sleazy as something like Porky's or something that would have been earlier. In the late 80s, they kind of were starting to soften the movies a little bit, and that's why this movie's kind of a product of its time. Right. You know, the the movie speaks to that there are women who are getting what they want for a change as opposed to they've been mistreated for their husbands. I, I do think that the better message would have been a way for these women to all get out of these bad marriages that they are in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, you know, had he been some sort of pizza delivery guy slash killer divorce attorney, I think that that would have probably been, uh, you know, a, a better, more empowering story than, you know, women just, you know, uh, sleeping around just to get payback on their husbands. But, you know, for 1989, I guess it was pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I have to tell my embarrassing lover boy story that I was, uh -oh. I was debating the whole podcast if I want to tell this one. But in college, I was the movie guy. Everyone knew me in our dorm. I was the guy that owned movies, and I had a ton of them. But I didn't have every movie that I wanted. There was some that I just didn't own yet. And I was so lucky in college. This is in 1993. I had a roommate who worked in a video store up in Oakland. And every so often, he'd say, hey, you want to rent a movie or something? Just tell me, and when I go to work, I'll go grab a movie for you. So one time, I had him grab Loverboy. And so he brought a bunch of movies back to my back to the dorm and we could watch them. And so one day he drops this uh, this uh, offer on me. He's like, would you like to own Loverboy? And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I don't really want to say I bought it. But if I owned Loverboy, I wouldn't like throw it in the garbage. And he's like, good, because this copy is now yours. I just reported it stolen. Yeah. So I somewhere on my record, it is noted that I own a stolen copy of Loverboy on VHS, which I'm very embarrassed to say. It's the one movie that he reported stolen. So somewhere there's a paper trail linking me to a VHS copy of Loverboy. Does it have your name attached or it was just like in the file that that copy was stolen? And if they were able to go into the barcodes. Yeah, my name was never actually attached to it like the Senior Pizza Pizza Trail. But yes. the big man upstairs knows this, that I own Loverboy. <laughs> That's yes. terrible. Yes. So, the, the Lord knows. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, this is my penance right here. I'm admitting it live on the air that for some reason I ended up with a stolen copy of Loverboy, which again was not of my volition. That was, it, was, it was given to me. I did not take it. How do you think that things played out post-1989 for Randy and Jenny? Do you think that they got together? They stayed together? Um, well, it's an 80s comedy, so we're meant to believe that. I do not think so, because I think he is used to a more sophisticated rich woman by right. this point. <laughs> Once that he has, uh, you know, uh, been to the buffet of, you know, all of the different women in Los Angeles, uh, will he be satisfied with just Jenny? 
Yeah, I do not think he will. I think Jenny is a little beneath him, where it's going to be a kind of a reverse Forrest Gump here, where this time he's too good for her, as yeah. opposed to you know Forrest, who was way, way beneath Jenny. What do you think about in the reboot? Are Randy and Jenny still together, and then their kid is the new lover boy? <laughs> so they've passed on the family business to their son? Right, a son or, uh, you know, the daughter would be interesting to try to, you know, explore what that would look like. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe it could be very progressive. And then, uh, you know, the, that he has a son who is gay and then is going around to, uh, you know, the uh, the different men in Hollywood. Yeah. And you can and you can even modernize even further by the dad, Randy's dad. Now, oh, my son is straight. He's like concerned that he keeps seeing all these signs that his son might actually be straight, but he's really gay. So they <laughs> totally turn this thing on his head. And that's the modern revival. There's a lot you could do with uh, Lover Boy 2018. Yeah. I can't wait for the stage version. That's what I'm waiting. The one on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, that'd be great. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, very exciting. Uh, Mario, what did you do with all your VHS? Do you still have them? I actually still have a box out of my garage with about 75 or 80 VHS tapes. And uh, I, I recently bought a VHS player just because I was tired of having all these tapes that I couldn't watch anymore. So I actually went to Goodwill and bought a VCR for like 10 bucks. And it's funny when I say that, I say, oh, I have a VCR and I can still watch VHS movies. And everyone's like, oh, look at this old man still kept his VCR. I'm like, no, I just bought it. Like, I didn't mm -hmm. have one for like 20 years. So <laughs> I still can watch my movies if I choose to. What, what about you? Do you still have any way to watch this stuff? You know, I still I have some VHS uh, somewhere, but it's mostly like, uh, you know, stuff that was like home movies and uh, stuff. Not necessarily like I would watch a, like a, a Hollywood movie on uh, VHS. And I, I have like a DVD VCR combo, but I do not have it uh, hooked up. It's in my closet. Yeah, it's and I'm the same way. Most of my VHS tapes aren't like professional movies I bought from Blockbuster or received stolen from Oakland. They are stuff like I just taped a random episode of Late Night with David Letterman in 86, mm -hmm. or I just taped a random Seahawks game from 1988 or something. So it's like homemade stuff that has sentimental value to me, but it's no, it wouldn't matter to anybody else. So that's, I just hate to throw that away because someday I'll want to go dig through it and say, oh, look at this Letterman episode where uh, a young Jerry Seinfeld was on, stuff like that. Yeah, I just think that we'll eventually get to a point where just nothing is playable. Like you put the tape in the VCR and it just disintegrates. Yeah, it says, intruder, bad boy, bad boy. <laughs> you bad boy. <laughs> Old tape. Yeah, all right, Rob, I want to thank you for joining me. I know we're easing up on an hour and a half. That's usually my cutoff for these uh, episodes. Why don't you tell people, although uh, anybody who listens to the show, I'm, I'm sure, knows who you are and how to reach you, but what do you do? How can people reach you if they want to find more of your uh, your unique brand of humor here? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, most of uh, – just about everything I do, you can get at uh, robhasawebsite.com. Rob has a podcast. I also cover scripted TV over on post-show recaps and uh we I, I i hardly get to talk about prostitution so this is uh, a big thrill for me mario yeah and again i i am so excited rob and i finally got to do a podcast together we've always again for 15 years always been looking for reasons to do projects together and just in the early days it was just tough because we couldn't find the right medium and now we do other stuff so we just get too busy so i yeah. just want to uh really thank you for stopping by wait can i say one more thing sure 
you know i don't know there was something really in the culture here in the turn of the decade from the 80s to the 90s because you have lover boy here in 1989 pretty woman is going to come out in 1990 it really seems like uh big hollywood here was really trying to glorify prostitution here it seemed like that uh it was really the world's oldest profession was getting a, a real second look yeah, and it's funny, I just talked about that to my last podcast in uh, Little Big League, how movies go in waves, and that was the kids in baseball movies for like five years, that was every movie, and I hear in the late 80s, it was, we're going to uh, legitimize prostitution a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, oh, why does everybody turn into such a negative? Uh, I mean, isn't it just about people finding each other? Come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought that maybe this was I, I had to go back and take a look. I said, uh, oh, maybe was this a response to Pretty Woman? Was this sort of like, oh, what if we did Pretty Woman, but with a guy? Uh, but no, Loverboy actually did uh, come first. And then uh, Pretty Pretty Woman was second. But then I don't think that there were too many other films that really uh, followed the, the through line. I think you started getting into, like in the mid 90s, getting into more of like the uh, the dark side of it. Things like Indecent Proposal and uh, stuff. Stuff like that. So this was a, a short-lived period in Hollywood where we really tried to, uh, you know, uh, clean up the reputation of uh, prostitutes and gigolos. Exactly. And then in the early 90s, you go through the Dick Tracy, like, let's do movies based on comic books from the 20s that nobody's ever seen. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it comes in waves. For all my listeners, again, we're Staff Picks. We talk about the underrated, underloved movies. Uh, you can reach me on email, staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter, at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out there searching for more underrated, underloved movies with extra anchovies. Talk to you guys later. Bye. La nueva caja de Little Caesars. Cuatro rebanadas grandes de pizza de pepperoni, dip, dip, dish y diez piezas de delicioso pan con queso italiano con salsa loca por solo nueve dólares. Solo en Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza.